Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths. And the big question today is what happened to real business relationships? It's an important question. Whether it's Zoom, LinkedIn, Instagram, or another platform, today's technology ensures that we're always connected. And yet we can oftentimes feel more alone than ever. We've lost the art of developing genuine kinships with each other. And my guest today, Chris Tuff, is an author, renowned speaker, and he's on a mission to help business leaders create connections that make work cultures thrive, improve retention rate, and multiply sales. And in fact, Chris is on a mission to help business leaders create connections that make work cultures thrive, improve retention rates, and multiply sales. And today he joins us to teach us how to save your asks, A-S-K-S. I know I, I read it the same way when I first saw it. And basically what this is, he, he will teach us how to evolve your networking currencies, grow your influence, triple your business. And I have that book in my hands as we speak. So Chris, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad the book got there in time. It was a, it was a quick turnaround for this. Chris, can you hear me at all? Okay, hang on. I, I can see you called in. I, I, I just tried to try and my computer. My computer. I'm on. I'm oh, on. Okay. Now you're better. I was I had muted myself so I could quietly panic and send you an email, but here you are. So thank you. Yeah, here I am. Being, yeah, thank you for being here this morning. I know it was very last minute and you overnighted your book to me which is a fantastic book by the way I didn't sleep a whole lot last night I was reading it and it's a beautiful book I mean I'm one of these people Thank that you. loves to have a book book in my hands yes I have Kindle I have probably 6,000 books on Kindle this is a gorgeous book I mean, it's whoever did this for you well, that well thank you thank you I'm excited you should be because listen, I mean, I almost you're gonna think I'm a lunatic. I almost didn't want to touch it because I didn't want to scratch it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> How ridiculous is that? I almost felt like Denise, I'll always send you more books. Out. <laughs> I will always send you more books. Whenever you need a refresher, I, I'm your guy. Well you ought to see it. It's it got fat overnight. It's got sticky notes. It's got index cards. I mean, I took it to bed with me last night and just couldn't put it down. So we have a lot I to love talk it. about love today. It. So listen, Great. Chris. Great. Well, let's dive in. Yeah, before we get started, you're a very interesting guy. So tell people a bit about yourself so they know why the heck I'm, you know, waxing eloquent and like a fangirl here. I'll apologize for that later. <laughs> I'm all of a sudden a no big fan girl. <laughs> but tell people a bit I about yourself. I, <laughs> I mean, you yeah. have been. So, I mean, you were you worked with Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, you've been around. So let's talk about that. 
Yeah, so I, I, I like to put it in the context of the book. And, and if you look at my currency, for, for those listening, your currency, that is the thing that you get paid for, right? And the ideal place for anyone is to have your currency match up to your passions and your purpose. And, and so, you know, I was always kind of in pursuit of that, right? And, and straight out of school, graduated from Vanderbilt in, in Nashville with a huge ego. In 64 failed job interviews, I quickly learned what I did not like, which were most of those jobs. The reason I didn't get those jobs was because I wasn't passionate about any of them. And it, it was right around that time. I never thought you could actually get paid to be creative. And so I was introduced to this small firm, a digital advertising firm. This is in 2003, Denise. So, you know, pretty early on in like the whole digital kind of ecosystem. And I, I started at a digital advertising firm, lucky 65. There was a lucky 65th interview that I finally got a full-time job. And it was over about five, five years that that firm, we went from, I was the 13th employee there and we grew to over 500 really quickly because of what happened with the internet. And that I would bounce around from job to job because I was always looking for that place to where I was scratching that itch of like, this is what I was born to do. And I remember at the time after I made another lateral job five years into it, my dad even took me inside and was like, Chris, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're still making 28,000, stop jumping around. I was like, no dad, I think I've got it. I think I figured it out. And, and what I had figured out is that, you know, I wasn't a creative after I was a creative copywriter for two of those five years. I wasn't an account person because I, I'm not that organized. I wasn't a great media person because it was too numbers oriented. I was a blended piece of all of that. And that was right as Facebook was going from the general, like basically colleges to the general public. And I got the opportunity on behalf of one of our large clients to work as one of the first three advertisers with Facebook. And um, that was really where the magic started to happen, where, you know, people will ask, hey, Chris, what was Mark Zuckerberg like? And um, I, I'll, I'll have to tell you that I only met him once, and it was at dinner, and he said zero words to me during that dinner. So um, it was somewhat anticlimactic. But what then happened from there was that I, I became – very passionate about this emerging social space because it's the same reason why I love humans in that, you know, for the first time ever brands could, could actually interact on a personal level and, and, and respond, et cetera. And so it was also the first crazy thing to happen to me was the owner of the agency turned to me and said, Chris, we're going to, since you're so good at this kind of new emerging media thing, um, since you're so good at it, we're, we're going to give you your own social media, emerging media department if you can prove to our clients that we can create a viral video. And I said, Chris, absolutely. What's a viral video? Because this is before <laughs> YouTube, Denise. So I go, well, I knew you were going to say goes, that. Yeah. So she goes, she goes, well, if you get over a million views of a video, then it's viral. And at the time, I had been patiently courting my wife for four months my now wife, for four months. And I had the ring, and I was like, what if I got two birds with one stone, and I got engaged to her while I am filming the whole engagement? And so I put a camcorder. This is in the camcorder days on the side of the road. 
and I had a wireless mic on. I had a friend of mine who actually was a cameraman for the real world hidden in the back of a car on one of the streets of Atlanta where at the third telephone pole, I pretended to sprain my ankle. And I went from spraining my ankle in a three-minute now clip um, a video, I went from spraining my ankle to popping the question. And it was a scale of emotion the internet hadn't really seen before. So I went from her laughing, she went from laughing at me to basically crying. And I put it on ChristopherTuff.com. And it was within a week, we had seven and a half million views. Good Morning America flew down. And we even got our pictures on the front page, top of the fold of the Wall Street Journal. And I will tell audiences and anyone that's willing to listen to me that when your passions and your profession finally start to overlap, ridiculous things tend to happen. And that was the first ridiculous thing. And what I call my first currency, Denise, right? So my first currency was I became kind of the go-to guy to help companies and brands with digital and social media. And fast forward to like, I guess, what would be the next chapter, um, I I had found my passion had evolved. I wasn't that excited about it. I had lost sight of the things that uh, uh, made me an incredible human, you know, most of which revolve around my family, my, my two daughters and my wife. And the other thing, so I doubled down on them in this moment. That was kind of my rock bottom. This was about three and a half, four, uh, no, now five, five years ago. And the other thing I changed was my metric of success, because up until that time, through that first currency, my metric of success, Denise, was beating my brothers at the game of life. And, and that's a horrible metric of success, if anyone else has a similar one. And I changed it to my success will be judged on a daily basis when my head hits the pillow. And it'll simply be, did I have the impact that I intended for the energy that I put in? And, you know, it was actually with that flip of the switch that I put all of my time and investment into my team. And, you know, I have a, I'm a partner in an advertising firm, 400 employees, and 95% of them are millennials and Gen Zers. And so I really doubled down on them. And it was about nine months later after that, I'm like, this is the most amazing experience. I, I haven't been this fulfilled maybe ever because these, the, these young leaders are just prospering, right? And they're having impact in their own circles. And so I was introducing myself at a men's retreat, and I was like, crap, what do I introduce myself as? I'm not the really digital and social guy. So off the top of my head, I said, hey, everyone, I'm Chris Tuff, and I'm kind of like the millennial whisperer. And then I shared my story. I sat down by the fire, and then um, some of these guys that are kind of average age in their mid-50s, all very – you know, successful executives are like, Chris, tell me about some of the things you do with these millennials and Gen Zers. Like, cause we, we just can't get them to work. They don't show up on time. They need a promotion every three weeks. I'm like, all right, listen, here's some of the tactics that I use. And these guys are kind of blown away that that's how I led. And I'm like, that's kind of instinct to me, but whatever. And then another guy, Tommy Breedlove, who was leading the retreat goes, Chris, you've got to write that book. I go, what book? He goes, the millennial whisperer. So I wrote the book. And I wrote it in four and a half months, Denise, and then it went on to kind of carry its own waves uh, now over the last two or three years through the pandemic. And what's interesting, I'm getting more calls now than ever before because everyone's struggling with these retention issues. But what happened at the beginning of the pandemic was I asked myself, what was the book that you were born to write, Chris? What is it that everyone goes to you for advice around? 
And I was thinking in this moment of, I don't know how long this is going to last. So there was a lecture that I would guest lecture at Vanderbilt. That was one of the highest rating guest lectures of the year that was called how to network like a mofo. And I thought to myself, what if I wrote the book on helping people to better network and sell, but then also to give them a life that could potentially be more fulfilling and, and being that catalyst for people to pursue their passions as side hustles in the same way that the book has been for me. Because what happened three years ago when I published my first book, my, my currency changed. My currency evolved. To, I, was, I then became, and if you Google my name, I'm the culture guy. I'm the guy that Nike brings in to help them with their culture or any of these large corporations. And so I spent the whole pandemic up until really – the last, I mean, I just finished it. It publishes next week. And um, I have never been more proud or excited for anything in my life, which for a very excitable person says a lot. And that is save your ass, which is a call to action that we need to change the way that we look at relationships, business relationships, um, specifically, and to save our asks and instead really focus in on creating a genuine connection. And so for the, even the most seasoned, seasoned salespeople out there, it's going to make networking a lot more fulfilling and fun. For those that are doing it wrong, which is most of the population Everybody. right now. Everybody. Right? Yeah, I mean, look at your inbox, Denise. How many people call you, call you and, and they just want to get on your podcast, podcast, right? They, they're right? not saving they're their not ass. Saving they, they, they go right they in go with right the app too early. And and so, they do. Yeah. They'll, so they'll send me a, that's hey, the segment. I like you. And, you know, uh, and I'll go ahead and I'll look at them and say, okay, you sound really interesting and I like what you're up to. And 10 minutes later, I mean, five minutes after I've accepted it, I would love to be on your pad- podcast. Uh, you don't even want to know my reaction. I think you can figure it out. Well, it's so not a good can way. Can I talk about that. Can I talk about one of my favorite tactics to alleviate yes. that issue? Please do, because okay. my stomach so, clenches, and then I probably delete them, which is not smart yeah. on my part. It really bothers me. Well, listen, you and I both, and now you know what I've been doing over the last week is I just send them a link to either Amazon and Barnes & Noble to my book. <laughs> and I'm like, because none of these people are researching me, right? They don't know that I've written books. They just want to get business from my agency where I'm a partner. Or something else. Uh-huh. So I just send them a link to my book, and they, they immediately respond back, and they're like, Chris, I read the description of that book you sent me. Did you write this? And am I an asshole? I was like, an asshole are the people that go in for more than, you know, an ask, or they go in for the ask too early, more than three asks in a row, kind of deemed you an asshole, and I'll respond back. And, um, and what's funny is we'll start actually going back and forth for the conversation. I'll say, see, look, we're developing a real relationship. Had you gone in and done just a little bit of research and started there, it would be – I don't feel – obviously, I would take a 30-minute, 15-minute, one-hour – maybe not a one-hour meeting, but meeting with you to meet you and, and hear your pitch. And so one of my favorite tactics is was introduced to me in 2012, Denise. It was um, – I was closing one of the largest deals of my – kind of business life, which was a multi-million dollar um, software play with this entrepreneur that I met in the early days of Facebook. And, you know, in 2006, 2007, there was only a handful of us that were really building infrastructures around Facebook and social media. And this guy's name is Jason Beckerman. 
And I turned to Jason in 2012 after signing this amazing, you know, this massive contract for him and for me. We were sitting with our teams at a steak dinner, and I turned to him and said, the sales guy's just really interested, Jason. I got to ask you a question. How in the world are we where we just signed this contract? How did you pin me down? Like, I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm hard to pin down. Like, but here we are. Seven years later, we met in a closed Facebook group, and yet here we are. Like, how did you do it? He goes, Chris, I Shawshanked you. I go, Jason, what oh, is wow. that? He goes, Shawshank Redemption. So you know Shawshank Redemption. Just like Andy Dufresne, he had that little pickaxe that he hid in his Bible. He would chip, chip, chip away every single day until he escaped from Shawshank Prison. I chipped away at our relationship until we became close friends. And then you called me when you had a need, and we over-delivered. And I go, oh, my God. Gosh, that's the best thing I've ever heard. Because I'm a, I'm, an, I'm a consummate sales guy, because I get ex- especially when I get excited about things, it sells naturally. So I said, I just got a call from a Fortune 50 company, and they reached out to me wanting to hire me as their digital and social person. And I was kind of obnoxious to this you know, head of marketing, a CMO of a Fortune 50 company. And on LinkedIn, I said, yeah, you can hire me, dot, 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 as your agency partner. I was like, yeah, that was the wrong move. I'm going to Shawshank them. And so I found her cell phone number, Denise, and I call her. And I said, listen, I'm just going to come down there, and I'm going to help you hire the right person. Because so many people are just, you know, full, full of just the, the wrong stuff. They've got bad intentions, and they really don't know what they're talking about. So I'll help you guys. And she goes, come on down. So I spent a, day, a half day with them, helping them, you know, create the job description, look at candidates. And then they invited me back to go and speak to a much larger audience of 1,000 people, educating them on digital and social media. And then, you know, we, we, after about a year, we became friends. I became friends with her and her head of marketing. And it was just around that time that they gave our agency our first big project. And so the, the head of, our, uh, of my company, where I'm a partner, Richard Ward, called me down because I would tell him, I'm Shawshanking. Like, I'm, doing, I'm saving my ass because I'm going to develop a genuine relationship. And, you know, a byproduct of genuine relationships is you end up doing business together. And that was the first, holy cow, like, this actually works. And if you fast forward, Denise, to today – at our agency, we have 120 employees just on that one account. And I, oh, love, that I love that because it shows just how this of mentality around just going in for a quick sell um, and saving our asks, right, like how this can work for us. And, and the best way to implement that is to Shawshank. And so anyone that's trying to get on Denise's uh, podcast, I would encourage you to try to Shawshank her instead of just going in for the ask way too early. <laughs> and thank you for that. And I am going to use that and quote you because, it, listen, I get emails daily, sometimes a lot of them. Yeah. And I yeah. love my podcast. I love my guests. I consider all of my guests to be my mentors. And I have to carefully go through some of these, but some of them – I don't know if it's just me being a kinder, nicer, gentler person than I think I am. I'll say, oh, that was really a bad presentation. 
how about if you go back and start over and this is what I'm looking for and I'll con- you know, go, oh, thank you. I thought you would just shut me down. No, I don't want to shut you down. But I also need to know a lot more than you're giving me. So you're right. I mean, just try to listen to who we are, watch who we are, do your research for crying out. I'm a web developer by trade. I can't tell you how many emails I I get. I'm a web developer, and I can help you. Uh, No. But thank you anyway. Well, you can just call them out and and say, listen, yeah, and, and, and you're being an asshole. Like, an asshole is a real thing. And, and uh, it's – so, I yeah. So uh, you can also just send them a link to buy my book, and they'll get it pretty quick. I'm going to do that. <laughs> yes, perfect. I, I'm in love with this book. I Seriously. Listen, I am – I started reading when I was three. I will read the box, you know, the back of a cereal box before I'll turn on a TV. I don't watch TV hardly ever at all. I love books, and whenever they land on, when you told me you were overnighting it, I think I've posted this on Facebook. Every time I heard any kind of noise out there in the front porch, I was like, "Oh, is it here?" Ah, oh, crap! It's not oh, here. that's oh. awesome. <laughs> it was, it was hilarious. That's it awesome. really was. It's a great book. Okay, so ask Cole. I love that because so many of us are, and so many of us are in a hurry and. Whatever the reasons are, you know, maybe you need to make that money, maybe you need to make that client, maybe you just don't know what the heck you're doing. And it can take years. It really can. And sometimes it can happen overnight. I mean, I've made some tremendous connections just on this podcast alone. And then I've had other people come to me, you know, several years down the road and say, hey, you mentioned you were a web developer. Can we talk? You betcha. So mm-hmm. what, I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that you need to focus on who you are, what you bring to the table, how you can help other people, and what your genuine passion is that gets you excited and really being a servant leader, if, if that's a good terminology for you. It is, but I lo- here, here's what I love to do. I mean, some people, Denise, let, let's dissect you a little bit, right? Some Uh-oh. people would say that your currency <laughs> nope. is you're a web developer, right? You're a web yeah. developer, but you have a very successful podcast. That, and what's so cool about your story is you pursued it, one, right, and you actually persevered through, um, and you, 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 it probably has not been the easiest route. I mean, you've been doing this for, what, 10 years or something? 13. I mean, since Early like adapter. 13 years, right, 13 years. And I would – guess that the podcast actually leads to new business opportunities for you, right? What a great demonstration of exactly what I'm talking about here. And I think so many people feel like either when they're doing their job that they see it a very linear track, right? And that I am an insurance salesperson or I am, you know, for me even, I'm a digital and social person. Why am I going to actually want to talk about how to motivate young employees, right? Well, if I write the book, if I write the book on it and I become a bestseller, uh, well, I didn't know that, but like, you know, when you become a bestselling author, everyone goes to you for advice. And what's cool is, I mean, we've now landed some of our largest pieces or largest brands from me speaking and creating relationships around my book for my ad agency. And, and that, I mean, at the core, right, of your, what I call your ball of yarn, is your purpose. And, and everyone who knows me 
knows my purpose is to inspire and connect. And if I were to full, you know, kind of take that to the next level, my superpower is to help people identify their passions and then be the catalyst to then help them pursue that passion. And, you know, for you, books, right, probably you're, you're interacting in this way and doing what you're doing, you're, that's what this podcast is all about, right? Like, how yes. cool is that? It's yeah. a direct application of this, um, of what I'm trying to bring to this new way of thinking about networking and selling. And you talk, and thank you for that, you talk in your book about the connection deficit, and boy, oh boy, I mean, I I read that and went, oh yeah, I completely understand it. And podcasting is a way I correct my connection deficit. I'm a highly committed introvert. I try not, you know, I try not mm-hmm. to around people if I don't really have to. It's not that I don't like people. Sure. I do, but I'm only good for about 59 and three-quarter minutes. So this is a <laughs> way for me. <laughs> I've timed it. But this is a way for me to meet people all around the world, learn from you, read your work, listen to your work, examine my work as a result of what I learned from you, and just keep on going. And, you know, a connected deficit is, it's almost like not having enough magnesium in your system. You're going to feel like crap. You really are. Yep. Yeah. Well, so I think, so the tactics or chapters in the book that I talk about that connection deficit, how do we alleviate that a little bit? The first step is what I call a race to the middle, Denise. And a race to the middle is I will use social media data or just questions to find where is that common passion point with me and that other person, right? Rory Cooper, who's a big guy in D.C., in D.C., his race to the middle question in social environments is, so where are you from? Because he's been to all, every single, or 48 of the states. He can instantly connect regardless of what that answer is. Oh, I'm from Milwaukee. Oh, my gosh. I went and saw the Brewers play there. It creates this instant, genuine connection in establishing what isn't there right now, right? And I think so much of our lives, because of the ease in which we can connect, social media, LinkedIn, email, text, people have forgotten the art of courtship and genuine connection. And so a race to the middle, and one of my other favorite stories is, a race to the middle can even dig you out of a hole. And I was, I was out at Nike headquarters, which is in Beaverton, Oregon, and we were staying about 30 minutes outside of Nike headquarters. And I had a huge speech that morning, and it was super early. It was like one of those typical dreary, cold Oregon days. And I called an Uber driver to come pick us up to take us to Nike headquarters because we had an early start. And so it was still dark out. I rush through the rain and I hop in the back of this red Camry and I guess I'd slam the door somewhat hard because the driver turns back to me and my coworker who I brought with me and said, he just starts yelling at me how I need to treat his car with more respect. And my coworker whispered in my ear, he's like, this is going to be a long 30 minute Uber ride to Nike. And all I said back to him, Denise was watch this. And I saw in his rearview mirror that he had a, um, a Trinidadian flag from Trinidad and Tobago. And I am, I, one of my passions is also kiteboarding throughout the Caribbean. And I also love Trinidadian 
steel drum music. And I, I, I kind of tuned into what he was listening to. I said, excuse me, sir, um, is that Trinidadian um, steel drum? And he kind of lights up. He goes, he's, he's not angry at me anymore. It's working, right? And he goes, uh, how do you know? How did you know that? I was like, well, I saw your Trinidadian flag. And by the way, I'm a huge kite dying to get down to Trinidad and Tobago. There's this one beach by the airport that is supposed to be one of the best kiteboarding locations ever, like in all of the Caribbean. And this guy goes, oh, my gosh, my family. And we talked for 30 minutes. By the time I got to Nike headquarters, he had invited me and my family to go visit his family when they were there over the summer to go see him and go kiteboard. And he was going to show me all the great kiteboarding spots, et cetera. And, you know, I demonstrate that as one of those ways in, in, in how we can create some of that common ground by taking those cues in around us and then being genuine, not being, you know, facetious about what those things that you're passionate are. And social media can be that tool. So when you actually get on to the phone call or in the meeting, you can say, oh, my gosh, you, you, I saw that place you went to in Key West. I've been there before. That place is awesome. Oh, yeah. Or you see that your common connections are through, you know, maybe your older brother or whatever. So like, how the heck do you know my older brother? Oh, Jeff is your older brother? I know it. Like, so you create that instant connection. But what happens, Denise, is people get stuck in that middle ground. You know, and you can get stuck. And I, I was challenged. I was testing some of these concepts for the book with a group of executives, 14 of them, from all different sectors and ways, like, a very diverse group of individuals outside of that, they were executives, right? And uh, one guy asked me, who is an executive at Arby's restaurant, and he said, Chris, I, you know, I'm at that table, right? I get stuck in that middle ground, and then I can't get out of it. How do you get out of it? And I said, Ken, it's one question. One question will completely change the game. And that question is when you can turn to that person sitting across from you, that you're trying to create the connection with, when you ask them, what is your dream? When they actually feel like they can be vulnerable enough to tell you their true dream, not only is there a bond created in that moment, but there is. But then when you leave that conversation and you just do one thing to help them in an effort to achieve that dream, it's going to create a bond for life. And that is where, I'm trying to take this book to create more of those relationships and genuine connections. That that's the reason why we were all put on this earth and we've forgotten that. And when you can help each other, then you automatically, this has been my, my, I don't, not expertise. I just lost my brain. I was so busy listening to you that my brain just went. You're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> Seriously, I'm scribbling down this, but when you're able to help each other, then you automatically feel like you need or want to help other people. It's like this, it's like pitching a rock in a very still pond. There's this, these concentric circles that just keep going sure. and going. It's the same thing. Well, I mean, if you help each other, you're automatically going to help other people just by default. Well, I don't think we talk about our dreams enough, Denise. Right? Like so many of our dreams were either crushed after fourth grade or we've kindergarten on them because no, we think kindergarten. It's, yeah, or kindergarten. Yeah, I mean, kindergarten. And that is, I, that is, like, that's why 
I do what I do. Like, and I think it's important to note, like, I'm not trying to become famous out of this book. I'm not trying to make money out of this. I'm truly trying to change the world. And I don't take that lightly. And now that I've got enough data, I've seen the application of this, of people that I've taken under my wing, including some of the stories and the interviews. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is it. Like, this is why I get goosebumps talking to you about it. This is why I was put on this earth. And one of my favorite, you know, other tactics, right? So a lot of, so you've got the, let's just put it on the spectrum. I call it the ask continuum in the book. And, and, you know, on the far left side, you've got the ask holes. Those are the people that go in for the ask way too early. They don't, they, they have no problem asking you for whatever it is, right? But then you have the other side of the spectrum, which is, I would suspect where you probably live, Denise, that's where I live, like people pleasers. And we're the ones that actually will let the ask pass us by, right? Where we'll be in those moments and you're like, oh, I just feel so bad for asking because I still want them to like me and blah, blah, blah. And regardless of where we are in that continuum, we need to start moving towards the middle. So if you're someone that lets the ask pass them by, one of my favorite tactics is what I call masking your asking your dream. Because the same is true when you present your dream to others and you're being genuine about it, you can't be, you've got to be authentic about that. You can't just do it for the sale, but almost anything can happen. And I started practicing this as I was talking to different individuals that I was introduced to, to interview for stories for what is now Save Your Asks. And I was interviewing Jason Trotwine, who in the book, um, people will read, came up with some amazing tactics, but he basically grew a multi-billion dollar empire out of his passions for cats and dogs. And he ended up creating ah. a veterinary clinic. And yeah, just that. like you and your cats, right? My, cat. and me, my cat, my dog. <laughs> he took action on that, built his first veterinary clinic, and then his second, and then his hundreds, and so on and so on. And he and I were connecting on a Zoom call, and um, we were just having the best time. And I told him, I said, you know, you're a billionaire, okay? I understand that. And your network is probably, you know, very sacred to you. But let me just tell you, I'm going to practice one of my favorite tactics with you, Jay, so I want to prepare you. And it is my tactic, masking my asking my dream. Are you ready? And he goes, sure, give it a shot, Chris. I said, all right, Jason, it is my dream to have a greater impact on this world and to create a handbook with Xavier Ask that whether you just graduated from college or you're going through a midlife crisis in your mid-40s, can, people can take action on this thing to live a more fulfilling life, but then also to make a hell of a lot more money. Who in your network do I have to talk to, Jason? And he immediately responds with, do you know the pro surfer Raymana? And as a surfer myself, I was like, I know of Raymana. I don't know him. But tell me more. He goes, okay, well, Chris, Rimana, his currency is surfing. His currency, he actually has been kind of declared the king of Chopu, which is in Tahiti and one of the most amazingly beautiful but also massive breaks in all of surfing. But he's also the right hand for Kelly Slater's wave pool in California, Surf Ranch. And he's the one that teaches all these people how to surf. And he just so happens to teach a lot of these billionaires. When they're looking for the most epic break, they go to Raymana. And he goes, so Raymana and I actually were introduced. I was introduced to him on the back of his jet ski as he was towing me in 
to a huge wave. And our first interaction and where our bond came from nine years ago was when he looked back at me on that jet ski. I was about to hop onto my surfboard to tow into it. And he put his hand on my heart and he looked into my eyes. And he said, I love you, brother. And he pushed me off of the jet ski. He goes, and ever since then, Chris, I text him almost every single day. We FaceTime weekly. He is amazing. And I go, oh, my gosh, I have to talk to Raymana. He goes, okay, well, I'll reach out to him. I'll have him call you. I'm like, yeah, right. Literally 48 hours later, my cell phone rings. And I look down at his French Polynesia on it. I was like, oh, my goodness, it's Raymana. So I hop on. He's like, brother, man, what's going on? And he was so <laughs> uplifting. I was like, Raymana, we have to hop on a FaceTime. Like, this is just too good. So we hop on a FaceTime. I go, first of all, before we get going, I want you to tell me this story about you and Jason Trotwine. He says that you guys have a bond that's unbreakable because you pushed him off the end of a jet ski and you looked in his eyes. He said, I love you, brother. Can you tell me about that moment? And Raymond, I kind of laughed. He goes, all right, Chris, don't tell Jason this, but I tell everyone on my jet ski that. <laughs> and I mean, two things by it. I want them, I mean, you know, I want them to take in this moment, right? I want them to forget about their big jobs and whatever. But secondly, this is a gnarly wave, and you could die. So I want the last thing that, to, that they hear from me is that I love you and that someone loves them, and then it's done. I was like, Raymana, that is so classic. So let me live vicariously through you. Where are you right now? I see French Polynesia on my phone. Where are you? He's like, oh, man, yeah, I'm in Chopu. I just got off Sergey Brin's yacht, and I was teaching his wife how to surf, and wonderful lady, wonderful lady. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy really is, like, the biggest connector. He, he's teaching the untouchables how to surf. And here's the, here's like the goosebump moment. Okay, Denise, and we totally hit it off. He's one of the stories in Save Your Asks, which everyone hopefully will read. But it was about a month later, I was in the middle of the um, Outer Banks in North Carolina celebrating my 40th birthday kiteboarding. And every once in a while, God gives you the, the signs that you're in the right place, you're doing the right thing, right? I believe it's God, some people, All whatever the time. you believe. I, yeah, I call them God winks. They show up, you stop so what you're this, doing, so this was, you pay attention. This was like a God shout. It was a wink and a uh-huh. shout, Denise. And so <laughs> he, I was in the middle, it was after an amazing day. I was up there, it was in the middle of the pandemic, so there weren't any other people at this place we were kiteboarding in pretty much the middle of nowhere and it was just us after a great day of kiteboarding and then there was a table about 10 yards away and at the end of the day I'd obviously told my friends about my amazing interaction with this guy this pro surfer Raymana who's the right hand of Kelly Slater etc and all of a sudden I heard Raymana's voice from that other table 10 yards away and I tell my buddies I was like Pete Hank I think that's Raymana on a FaceTime with those guys next door to us. They, they go, yeah, right. There's no way. And I yell over. I was like, hey, excuse me, is that Raymana? And then he holds up his phone and over to our table, and he goes, and he goes yeah, it's Raymana. I'm on a FaceTime with him. And Raymana goes, Chris, how do you know Charlie? I was like, I don't know Charlie. I just heard your voice. And I was like, what are the chances of that? And you know, I use that story as an example, Denise, that one, we get those winks from God that you're in the right place, you're doing the right thing. But then two, if we can go into relationships, right, 
and actually create more of that bond, more of that genuine connection. So many people feel like because it's a professional relationship, you can't do the things that fuel your soul. Yet we have all of these examples out there of people that have developed currencies that are all really around passions. And, and Raymana's being no different with surfing and how he now has probably one of the most incredible networks in the world. What if each one of us did more of that in the way that we look at even our professional circles? And uh, again, I'm speechless. I have to tell you, this doesn't happen often. You're managing it so good for you. The oh. currency, we're talking a lot about currency. And I just had someone ask me, how do we identify our currency? This is the first time I've even heard about this. How do we know what it is? Which I think is a good question because I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure what mine is. And I thought I was the smartest so, person so. in the room, which I am because I live alone. But I don't think I really know what my currency is at this moment. Your currency, your currency. and this is one of the things that I think people struggle with, is your currency is that thing that you get paid to do, okay? And then off of that currency, we need to be cultivating at least two passions at any given time because you might not be passionate about your currency. The only way you're going to evolve it is when one of those passions actually overtakes your currency. And the best way to show whether or not that does is whichever one's making more money. And so that currency, for example, Denise, for the person I use in, in the book, the person that stocks the shelves at this local supermarket, that person has a currency and their currency is organization around the supermarket or, um, you know, where to find things or, you know, tidiness, right? Or, you know, for me, when I was a digital and social guy, uh, my currency, why people went to me and what I got paid for was digital and social media advice. And so that currency is that thing that you get paid to do. So I would argue, depending on whether or not you're monetizing this podcast to a level, your, your currency, your day-to-day -day currency is your ability to code right, and build websites and, and do all of that. And people will ask me, so how do I, what if I'm not passionate about my currency? And I said, that's what your passions are for. Just like my passion for, you know, uh, empowering and leading with empathy and connection with the next generation became the millennial whisper. And it was about nine months in. And after I sold, you know, thousands of copies of that book, that my currency was overtaken. And my, um, my, it had evolved to a new currency. And, you know, you also have people, and I've got a couple examples, of they, you might be super passionate about your currency. I, I talked to a dentist, and he's like, I love, my, I love what I do, but I still want to be kind of, you know, developing. I said, okay, that's great. So your passions just need to be within your ecosystem. So what about real estate? for dentistry. Maybe doubling down and learning that would be a good passion to fuel, right? But you got to also make sure that out of those two passions, one of them is really in line with kind of generating that momentum and what gets your heart pumping. And that might be your second passion might be learning a new instrument or a new language or learning how to write a book or structure a book or starting a podcast, whatever it is. Um, but the biggest thing you've got to question yourself around is, is my currency in line with where my kind of passions and my purpose are. And so many people I talk to don't even know what their purpose or they failed to put down what their true passions are. And so they're kind of flying blind. And what I inherit 
is people, you know, in their mid forties and they might be a partner at a law firm or whatever it is. And they're like, Chris, I am so unfulfilled. I hate my currency. You know, I, I liked it 10 years ago when I first started or 20 years ago, but I've now evolved past it. And I said, that's great. I mean, that's okay. You know, you're now going to use some of these passions and side hustles to satiate those desires that are in your soul. And you are not allowed to sacrifice that currency until the other passions are more powerful. We've got to be responsible around those. And, you know, even put in the application, I had a friend call me. He was like, Chris, he was head of logistics for a huge consumer company, right? He, he was the one that made sure that Target had all of those products in there, you know, supply lines, how to rent 747s from China and get them over in a timely period. Like it was a very nuanced currency. And he said, Chris, I'm done with this and I want to get into recruiting. I know, you know, the, you know, Sarah Blakely and some of the people over at Spanx, they have an open position for recruiting. And I just want to make a change over there. And my response to him was, no, you cannot do that because you're sacrificing the thing that you have built so long to now achieve that you're going to get into the door of a new corporation still using your last currency. And then you'll make the lateral moves over because what's going to happen is when you apply for that, even if it's me opening up the door for you, you're doing yourself a disservice because you're going to be either overqualified and that you're too senior for that position, um, or you're going to quickly figure out that there's a lot of stuff you still don't know yet. And you're throwing everything out the window to, to, for an immediate gratification. And we've got to think about these things more slowly. I call it like the gray area. And I'm like the most impatient person in the world. So this is also something I probably struggle with, but I am always cultivating these things on the side because our day jobs aren't always going to be exciting. A lot of times they aren't. And so, you know, it's up to us to help create that momentum in our life and actually pursue it and be resilient and have that tenacity to see it all the way through. And most people don't have the heart for that. You know, I call it hustle muscle in, in, in the book. We've got to, we've all got to like muster that hustle muscle to see it through. Well, and I'm so glad you're talking to this is one of my, my um, notes that I wrote to myself, talk about side hustle. I call it the gig economy sometimes, but it is so important not to get stuck on doing whatever. It, and I'm an entrepreneur at trade, you know, by heart. I was, Sure. Putting together little Halloween costumes from in my mom's garage when I was a very small child and selling them to the neighborhood kids. I've always been an entrepreneur at one level or another. But I also found out pretty early on that, you know, you have to, if you're going to do what we do, you need to have a cast iron stomach because you're going to fail daily, sometimes multiple times a day. And, you know, I tell people, say, well, you know, what happens if you get told no? I get told no a lot. What happens if it just didn't work? Well, you pick up your panties, you blow up whatever got in your way, you go around it, or you just go do something different. But you don't stop. You don't quit. Well, and I think, you know, some people, it's a fine line between when do you, like when do you pivot that that side hustle or that passion to be like we've always got to be maneuvering to new ways right there um and then that is one thing that there's an, it's an imprecise science right and 
you might find certain things work and certain things don't. It's just that we continue to move forward at all times, right? Progress is, to me, joy, right? And, and so many people feel stuck because we feel like we can't pursue these things because our day job doesn't allow it. And what I'm trying to now work with these larger corporations around is you need to be focusing more of your – the reason why 4% – of the workforce is quitting every month, 4%, is because they don't, people aren't happy where they are, right? The pandemic created this environment to look really long and hard at what we do all day every day. And so what I'm trying to encourage the larger corporations or even small business is encourage your employees to, one, identify their passions and their purpose, and then give them the resources to start pursuing those right? Within your own four walls, you know, put in an application with some of these larger companies. Why not fuel your innovation pipeline through your employee side hustles versus outsourcing it? You've got incredible minds inside your, 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 your own four walls and you're not utilizing them to the full extent. Why not get two birds with one stone? Exactly. Listen, I wanted to kind of do a, a recap here. Before you even get to the, the nuts and bolts of the book, we've got the new networking technology. One is currency, which we've covered. Super connectors, which I think we've pretty well covered. Assholes, which I love. Empty askers, I definitely want to talk with you about that. Shawshanking, sure. I wrote all kinds of notes about that. And yep. race to the middle. Let's Let's talk about empty askers because I suspect okay. we all get too many of those. In fact, you know, oh. go to LinkedIn. LinkedIn's like, really, yeah. guys? Stop it. So, so there's two sides of the empty ask, okay? And I'm going to put it in the context of a story, of course. And so one is, if you're one of those people that lets the ask pass them by, if you're one of those, your networking oftentimes revolves around you wanting that other person to give you validation or for them to like you. And so as you're doing that race to the middle, you're setting yourself up for what could be an empty ask. For me, one of the things that I was able to do in whatever it is that I do is that I was obsessed with um, the grill, the big green egg. It's an amazing, very expensive grill. And I, I used my currency to create a bunch of reciprocity and relationships over there where I got big green eggs for 50% off. And, you know, I helped them out with a bunch of stuff. I actually got Mark Zuckerberg one. And I sent him one to Menlo Park, ridiculous, I know, because I knew his assistant, because he was on the Today Show talking about how it was the 10-year anniversary of Facebook and that all he was going to do was buy a grill. And Al Roker told him that, well, you got to get a Big Green Egg. I just met the head of marketing at Big Green Egg, um, Rob, uh, at a speech I had given around digital and social media where I used them as the power of, social, uh, of word of mouth and how I would sold so many of them. And so I called Rob and I was like, let's send Zuckerberg a big green egg. And we sent him one and, you know, I was told that he had it. And, and then um, it wasn't until he went live on Facebook live for the first time ever in front of hundreds of millions of people that he did it in front of the big green egg that I, we had given him that we were like, Oh my gosh. And they got tons of sales from that. So I got this built up reciprocity with that with they're like chris anytime you need a big green egg we'll give you like 25 or 50 percent off and so what i would do from that because i had the relationship that became kind of a part of this group of currencies in which i networked 
I would actually, in conversation, in that race to the middle, if I couldn't find something, I would say, so do you grill? You know, if it was someone that's, like, a little older and I knew they'd probably grill. It's like, oh, yeah, I grill. I'm like, what do you grill on? They're like, oh, a Weber grill. And I'm like, oh, what about a big green egg? Yeah, they're, they're way too expensive. Well, listen, I have a relationship with big green egg. I can get you 25, 50% off. How's that sound? He's like, are you serious, Chris? This is a, and they light up. All of a sudden, they like me, right, Denise? And then they, I said, yeah, you know, all I have to do is go down there with you. And if I'm with you, you get 25% off at least, and sometimes 50. And then it's about two weeks later that I get a call from that person that I met at that cocktail party. And they're like, all right, Chris, we're ready to go to Big Green Egg. Um, you, when do you want to leave? And do you want to take my car or yours? I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You want – I just met you at a cocktail party, and that, yet here you – you are saying that you want me to take like three hours out of my day to go get you a, a grill? I set myself up for that. All that was for me was an I heard it. Right? right? And we do it all the time. Oh, yeah. Let's, hey, if you're, if you're coming to Atlanta, Denise, I would love to take you out to dinner, right? That could be an empty ask if my intentions aren't pure. All of a sudden, I, four months later, you're in Atlanta. You text me, say, I'm ready for that dinner. Like, I don't want to go to – I just did a podcast with you. I don't know you well enough to go to dinner. That was an empty ask. So we've got to be right. careful of that empty ask on both the receiving end and the other side of it. I love that. So I have to know, did you go with him to get his, his egg? I do, I've, been to the, I've been way too many times, and I've learned my lesson <laughs> to stop giving that empty ask up. There you go. We do that in the deep south. It's like, hey, whenever you're around, you know, come on by for coffee. I don't want people. I don't drink coffee. I don't answer my door. What the heck did I just say? (laughs) No. I had to learn to stop saying that. And people would invite me to coffee. I don't drink coffee. No. It's like, okay, yeah, I get that. So the, the way to discern that in the moment is to what I call my answer with a buy when, which is, uh, you know, once again, another story from Xavier Asks is uh, it was teached to me from a friend of mine in the early days of Facebook, Jeff Clawson. And um, it's how you can quickly eke out whether or not that empty ask is real. So when you say, oh, yeah, let's grab coffee, if you immediately say buy when and you get out your calendar, they're going to be like, oh, wow, like this is actually going to happen. Um, next week, Thursday, you want to grab coffee? Great. Awesome. So you can actually combat the empty ask with a buy when, and it's very, very um, productive. Yeah, I've learned how to do that because, as you know, I mean, those of us who are kind of in the public space or a lot in the public space, people want things. And more often than not, as entrepreneurs, we do want to help them, but we have to also – take care of our time and monitor how we're responding. So I get that. 100%. Okay, Chris, we've only got about four minutes, and I didn't – you're going to think I'm a lunatic, but can you come back after this book has launched? It launches on March 1st. I yeah. would love to hear some stories about the reactions you're getting from it. And, you yeah. know, kind of go back through the book because, you, seriously, it's gotten about – a quarter inch fatter than it was when it landed on my doorstep. It's so full of I notes. Love it. So I would love to have you come back if you would. Of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, and I, I've never, I've been a part of a lot of amazing things, but I've never felt anything quite like this. Denise, you know, one of the things that I set out to do with this book specifically was that I didn't want to just impact 
right, white, rich America. I wanted something that could actually help almost anyone. And, and you know, and anywhere. the amount of stories that, yeah. And I mean, even the UPS driver that came as I was, I had a thousand books delivered two weeks ago to my house. He was like, Mr. Tough, what is this? You know, here's a guy in his mid forties, awesome attitude. I've only met him a couple of times when he's dropped packages off. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's my new book. And I tell him about it. I'm like, you, you want to help me bring these in? He's like, sure. What's the book about? And I grab one out, I give it to him, I sign it. And I start talking about it. And by the end of it, 30 minutes later, we're both sweating. He's like, Chris, do you think you can help me with like my side hustle? Cause I have this idea and you know, I drive by here and I see you out front. Do you think I could just come up with my truck? when you know you're not too busy and we can just talk about it i'm like mr ups driver absolutely i've never had like i'm like even the ups driver is finding application for this and that's what makes me so excited for however this is going to unfold i just know it's going to be big listen i can hear your passion and i share it i completely understand where you're going with this the book is phenomenal but what i'm really enjoying the most at this moment is just hearing you talk about it and how deeply excited you are by what it is that you're doing and what you're doing is helping other people. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, listen, before I let you go, we've got a couple of minutes left and this this just went too quick. You've got to come back. But is there anything else you want people to know that maybe I didn't have an opportunity to ask you about or some last minute wisdom and then tell people where they can find you and find the book? Sure. Yeah, so, I mean, I wrote the book for even the most distractible minds, um, <laughs> including myself. So I think you'll find it very entertaining and actionable. I end every single chapter with a make it happen section, um, and I summarize everything. So, you know, I'm not going to try to cram anything more into this discussion because my stories usually last too long. I would just encourage anyone that if this gets you excited – um, go and order it on Barnes and Noble, or actually for the first time ever, I didn't realize this could happen yesterday in the pre-orders. It was down on Amazon because it's actually selling so fast to me. So, um, if it's not there, well, Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble. Yeah. So I, I didn't run into that with the first book. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would encourage everyone to just grab it and, uh, connect with me. I'm really responsive on Instagram specifically. My, my best contact there is at T-U-F-F-2-2, the number 22. Uh, and if so, if you send me a message or whatever, I'm happy to respond. Or if you have a couple of questions, um, I mean, this is why I was put on this earth to do this. So it brings me so much joy when people reach out to me and, and I can help them. Um, so to go there, and then if you want to learn more, you can go to ChrisTuff.me, uh, me. And I've got a lot of stuff on the website there, um, overviews, et cetera. Chris, thank you. It has been delightful speaking with you. And I thank you for all of the terrific tips and advice and, and the stories. Podcasts are made for stories, and you delivered. And I thank you for sharing all of that with our audience. So before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes. Honestly, anywhere else you consume your business podcast, you really can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So just look for us and take us along on your success journey. And, Chris, thank you for being here, and thank you for the book. Denise, it was awesome. Get your voice heard. 
If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 